Hey everybody, thank you for choosing the Richlands Tabernacle Podcast. Right here every Thursday you will hear two new sermons from the church that were delivered either by Pastor Horton or one of the other ministers from the church. We hope you enjoy. God bless. Hands, for I'm covered by the precious blood of the Holy Lamb. Well, I'm a blood bona fide child of the King. He wrapped me in his loving arms. Made me royalty. No matter what may come my way, you can hold me down. I'll be shouting, Hallelujah! I'm dancing on solid ground. Well, I'm a blood-bought, bona fide child of the King. He wrapped me in His loving arms. Made me royalty. No matter what may come my way, you can hold me down. I'll be shouting, Hallelujah! I'm dancing on solid ground. One day the time will come when every knee shall bow. Ooh, ooh, oh, every saint of God will leave the ground. You'll be thrown into a pit of fire, never to return. Oh, someday sooner than you think, there's a lesson you will learn. When I'm a blood-bought, child of the King, oh, he wrapped me in his loving arms, made me royalty. No matter what may come my way, you can't hold me down. I'll be shouting, Hallelujah, while I'm dancing on solid ground. Oh, well, I'm tired of you, oh, Satan. You messed with me too long. You tried to ruin my life and steal my soul. But I serve notice on you. You, you don't have a chance. I'm covered by the precious blood of the Holy Land.
because I couldn't talk, and I was panicking, and I was laying there, and I just started quoting scriptures, and I quoted scripture after scripture after scripture. Last April, I didn't think I'd see another birthday. I didn't, but here I am. He's been good to me. He's been good to you, and I just want to give him glory and honor. He's so wonderful. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds my tomorrow. And if I can tomorrow, I'm going to step out of my bed. I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to worship him, and I'm going to serve him, and I'm going to do what I can for him. I'm going to sing his verse again because I can, because he's been good to me. Well, I remember the day when I found the Lord. Let me tell you what happened. He filled me with the Holy Ghost. For the rest of my days, 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 for the rest of my the rest of my days, for 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 the rest of my days, for
Good morning. Turn with me to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27 it is a privilege to be here this morning. I hope that same spirit that we've been feeling continues, don't you? I hope y'all get in here and shout with me and rejoice with me this morning like you have been. That'd be all right. It wouldn't hurt my feelings at all. If we would just rejoice in the Lord. I would like to help you this morning. I do realize that I'm the only thing standing between you and some good food. So I'll try not to be long this morning. Acts chapter 27. I'm going to only read a, maybe four or five verses initially. But if you want to keep that open to Acts chapter 27, we'll look at a few verses as we go along this morning. Acts 27 will start at verse 22. This is the Apostle Paul talking. He said, Now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of the Lord, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. Thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. Therefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. But when the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country. That will be the end of the reading this morning. We'll go back and forth a little bit into chapter 27. But I want to talk to you this morning about I believe God. I believe God. Let me give you a little bit of background. The Apostle Paul here in, in Acts chapter 27, he's going on his trip to, to Rome. But it started way back in chapter 21 when Paul decides he's going to go to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. And he goes to Jerusalem and, and he's witnessing there in Jerusalem and he's doing a fast. And the Jews catch him in the temple and they literally drag him out of the temple and they are about to beat him to death, the Bible says. When he is rescued by Claudius Lysias, the chief captain or commander of the Roman garrison there in Jerusalem. And Lysias brings the Sanhedrin together in chapters 23 and 22. And this is, if you remember, this is when Paul, the Bible says he slapped in the mouth at the direction of the high priest Ananias. And so when Lysias learns that there is a plot to kill the apostle Paul, he sends him to Felix the governor in Caesarea, where the Bible says in chapter 24 of Acts that he is kept there in prison for two years. Now in the meantime, and I never understood this until I started researching this, I never understood it, but in the meantime, Festus succeeds Felix as the governor of Judea. I didn't understand who Agrippa and Festus and Felix and Lysias and all these people were, but Festus succeeds Felix as the governor of, of Judah, and Paul's pending case is one of the first things on his docket and one of his first concerns. And so after hearing the Apostle Paul, Festus agrees to send Paul to, to Caesar. But before he can leave for Rome, King Agrippa comes along. He is the king of Judea and he comes to visit Festus. And that's recorded in chapters 25 and 26. Now bear with me. I, hopefully I'm going to get there. I just need to, to lay the foundation here. And Paul makes his case to King Agrippa. But apparently, 
It was, not, it was not just enough that he made his case here, but he had already appealed to Caesar. And Agrippa said, I could let you go, but you've already appealed to Caesar. And so Agrippa agrees with Festus and says, Paul, you have to go to Rome to stand trial. And so that brings us to chapter 27. At the beginning of chapter 27, the apostle Paul is put under the authority of the centurion Julius. And he is to make his way to Rome to appear before Caesar. Chapter 27 and chapter 28, the last two chapters of the book of Acts, they give the details of Paul's journey from Caesarea to Rome. And we know the story well. But in verse 2, Acts 27 and 2, tells us that Paul was not alone. Aristarchus and Dr. Mark, the physician Mark, the writer of the book of Acts, those two believers, they accompany Paul on his journey here. They make several ports. Ports, If you go through chapter 27, they make several ports. They change ships a couple times. And they arrive at the fair haven, havens at Lacia in verse 8 of Acts chapter 27. Now, they're getting ready to sail again. And it is not a good time to be sailing. And Paul tells them so. He says, winter is approaching. It is not a good time to be up on the sea. But his warning was unheeded. And the Bible says that when the south wind blew softly, they said, it's now or never. Let's get out of here. It's not a commodious place. Let's get out of here. And so they set sail, and then you know what happened. You remember the story. You know what happened. Eurachlodon. Eurachlodon hit with a vengeance. This great wind, this great waves hit. And that's exactly what Eurachlodon means. It means great winds and waves. A tempestuous wind the Bible says, hit them. Now I found something very interesting here while I was studying this about the Apostle Paul and this storm. I've never heard this before. But you know as well as I do that there's been many critics throughout the years who have tried to disprove the Bible. They have tried to discredit the Bible, to show inaccuracies, to, go, to show contradictions within the Bible. For centuries they have tried to discredit the Word of God. And even in the 1800s, there was an entire group of men and women who tried to discredit specifically the New Testament. They got together, and this one group, they set out to discredit the book of Acts. And the reason they did that is because the book of Acts was the start of the, the New Testament church. And it records much of the life of the Apostle Paul, which in the end wrote a lot of the New Testament. So their thought process, if, if we can discredit the book of Acts, we can discredit the New Testament church, and we can discredit the Apostle Paul and much of his work. So they set out, and they found this young man who was energetic. And so this particular group, they decided they would discredit the book of Acts, and they wanted to do that. And so they got this young man who was part of their group, this young Scottish gentleman, William Ramsey. And they sent him, they, they funded his trip, they, they decided to send him, and they funded his trip, and they sent him to, to Asia Minor, they sent him to Southern Europe, and to the islands of the Mediterranean, to visit all the places that, that the writer Luke, in the book of Acts, mentioned for Paul's journeys. And so they hoped to find evidence to falsify Luke's record, and to discredit the book of Acts. And so... 
William Ramsey, very carefully in minute detail, he started investigating. He started traveling and he started recording and experiencing the ports. He experienced the sea, the islands, the, the travel routes, the culture, everything. He started recording this and after a long investigation, he came back to that group. It was one thing vastly different. He was a Christian now. He was a Christian now. He, and he concluded that by the time he was done with his studies, he concluded that it was absolute accuracy to every detail that Luke records in the book of Acts. In fact, he becomes this Christian, and it becomes a well-known Christian. By the time he died in 1939, he'd become the foremost authority on the history of Asia Minor, and he was one of the leading scholars on the study of the New Testament. And it's because he looked at the book of Acts. In particular, it has been shown that this voyage here in Acts chapter 27, that I've read a piece to you, and the shipwreck, that, that Paul has here in the sea, it provides more detail on ancient navigation than any other work in Latin or Greek literature. That's the Bible. Acts chapter 27. No less than 17 technical terms are used here by Luke to describe the navigation and the management of this ancient ship at sea. And all of them have been found to be completely accurate. One researcher said it this way. He said, even the critics have to acknowledge that Acts chapter 27, and I quote, bears the most indisputable marks of authenticity. Of the whole Bible, Acts chapter 27 has been under such scrutiny, it bears the most indisputable marks of authenticity. He goes on to say that historical research and inscriptions have confirmed the facts given in this chapter. While the accuracy of Luke's nautical observations is shown by the great help that he has given to our understanding of ancient seamanship. None have impugned the correctness of his phrases. That's Acts chapter 27. That's our Bible. So Dr. Luke was there. He was there with the Apostle Paul. He was there with Aristarchus when all of this happened. And he experienced it and he recorded it in finite detail. And in detail, he records in Acts chapter 27. If you get a second, I've only got 20, 20 more minutes or so. I'm not going to go through all of Acts chapter 27 because you're hungry like I am. But if you get a chance, sit down and read the whole of Acts chapter 27. It is an amazing chapter. Eurachlodon hits. Eurachlodon hits and it hits with a, a vengeance. What type, of, what type of storms are named? Hurricanes. We name our hurricanes. And the Bible said that they could not control the ship, so they sent reinforcements under the ship, and they did the best they could, and they let her drive, the Bible says. Now just reading this verse in verse chapter, chapter 27, verse 18, if you read it, it almost makes me sick. The Bible says, and they were being exceedingly tossed with a tempest. I've been on one cruise in my life. One and only one cruise. David and Kelly, you know about this. I've been on one cruise in my life, and I was pretty much sick the entire time. You would go to supper. One of the great times you could pick what meal you wanted. You could eat as much as you wanted. I'd go to supper and have to leave because I was so sick. And I would leave, and I'd go back to the room. And try to lay down in bed, but your bed was rocking so much, the ship was rocking so much, that the door on the, the closet would slide forward 
bump, bump, bump. I know what it's like to be sick on the sea. Uh, and I laid there in bed so sick, your head spinning, your guts rolling, everything. And that, that noise of that door about drove me crazy. Now, to be fair, David and Kelly said it was a little bit rougher than normal. Yes, there were light switch, so every time the door would come open, the light would come on too. <laughs> and it, it would literally drive you crazy, especially when you're sick. I kind of felt like the guy that was leaning on the rail, his face was a little bit of shade of green, and the stewardess comes over and tries to encourage him and says, Don't be discouraged, sir. No one has ever died of seasickness yet. And he's, the nauseous guy said, Please don't say that. Please don't say that. That's the only hope of dying is what's kept me alive this far. Don't say that. I cannot imagine 14, was it five or seven? I can't remember. Five or seven days we was on that stupid boat. I cannot remember. But 14 days they were in this storm. I Literally, I was, maybe it was only three days, it felt like seven. They're telling me it was a three-day cruise. I thought it was seven. I was floopy-headed for weeks. Literally, I, I could care less if I ever go on a cruise again in my life. No Thank you. Amen, Amen, Brother Phil. Eurocladon was so bad. Eurocladon was so bad that by day two, they were lightening the ship. By day three, they were throwing the tackling overboard. For many days, they never saw the sun or the stars. They did not get a break from this storm. Day and night, the storm raged on. In fact, Luke says in verse 20 that the tempest was so great and they hadn't had a break for so long That all hope that we should be saved was taken away. Our hope was gone. They had tried everything humanly possible. They had fasted for days upon end. But it was just one wave after another wave. One bolt of lightning after another bolt of lightning. They could not rest. They could not sleep. They had worked like dogs. They had fasted. They were weary and their hope was lost. It's kind of like the way... Charlie Brown told Lucy that one time, he says, I've got so many troubles. If anything happens to me today, it'll take me two weeks before I can even worry about them. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad. He's in trouble. Sometimes our lives are the same way. Aranda told me just a couple days ago, maybe a couple weeks ago, she said, baby, I don't know if I can handle any more bad news. I don't know if I can handle another dark, crashing wave. Had the Apostle Paul done something wrong here? He was in the middle of Eurocladon, this named tempestuous storm. Had he, had he done something wrong? No, absolutely not. In fact, it was the divine will of God. If you go back to chapter 19, Paul says he purposed in the Spirit purposed in the spirit to go Jerusalem and then he said after that I have been there I must also go to Rome you remember the night after that he was seized by the centurion from being beaten to death and he is in the prison in the castle the Bible says the night following the Lord stood by him and said be of good cheer Paul for as thou hast testified to me in Jerusalem so must thou bear witness also In Rome. So Paul was exactly 
in the will of God. It was God's purpose. It was God's plan for Paul to go to Rome. But along the way, there was a great Eurachlodon. There was a great storm. You see, being a Christian does not mean that we are free from the storms of life. Oh, no. God never promised that he would never face a storm. That we would never face a storm. That is not one of his promises. If you look at Isaiah 43, verse 1 and 2, it's a very great passage. It has great promises, but the promises start out with this. When thou passest through the waters, when you go through the rivers, when you walk through the fire. So many times God's greatest promises are only realized when we are in our deepest, darkest hour. That's the way Paul felt here. He was in a dark hour. Paul's journey was ordained of God. But it was not going easy. It was not going smooth. In fact, it was the opposite of that. If you look all the way back at verse 4 of chapter 27, from the very beginning, his journey to Rome, the Bible says the winds were contrary. Is life contrary to you sometimes? Is life contrary? It feels like to me life is contrary. Pittsburgh had a foot of snow. And another nine inches was falling. And the buses and the trains were stopped. And the cars were stuck and they were abandoned. People were finding shelter wherever they could. And this was back in the day in the 50s and 60s when they still had telegrams. And so this, this guy was stuck. He was trying to survive. And he found a place to send a telegram. And he wanted to make the words as succinct as he could. And so he sent these words to his office. Will not be at work today. Not home yesterday yet. Will not be at work today, not home yesterday, yet. The Apostle Paul finds that the winds go from contrary to downright tempestuous. The dark clouds, they last on and on and on. I don't know if you are getting this this morning. I'm talking to you about I believe God. The dark waves were crashing. Wave after wave after wave was beating the ship. They had done everything they had could. They had labored. They had toiled. They had worked. They had even fasted. They had prayed. And yet the storm did not let up. And when all hope was lost, that's when God miraculously calms the storm. He steps on the scene and says, peace be still. And there's a great calm. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's, that's not this story. Sorry, I got sidetracked there. That's not, that's not this story. God did not step on the scene. The angel did not step on the scene and calm the storm. He did not say, Eurachlodon, calm. That's not what happened in this. Eurachlodon was not crushed by the power of God. And, and Paul sailed smoothly from then on to Rome. That's not what happened. That's a different story. And there's application for that. But that didn't happen here. God did not miraculously calm the storm here. He did not speak to Eurachlodon and there become a great calm. Some of God's promises are not for deliverance from the storm, but rather his presence while we endure the storm. Some of God's promises are not for deliverance from the storm, but that I will never leave thee and I will never forsake you in the midst of the storm. So go back to Isaiah 43. Verse 1, we shout about it. And thou thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, 
for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. And that's great and we could preach about that and that's wonderful. And we could shout about that. But the next verse is, when thou passest through the water, you're going to go through the waters, but I will be with thee. And when you pass through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flames kindle upon thee. You see, the angel of the Lord did not calm the storm. The angel of the Lord appeared to the apostle Paul in a dream that night, but he did not calm the storm. He said, fear not in the middle of the storm. He reiterates to the apostle Paul, you have to go before Caesar. God has given not just your life, but everybody on the boat with you. See, God was working behind the scenes here. And by divine providence, Paul was going to Rome. It just didn't look like he was going to Rome. It looked like he was going to the bottom of the sea. I can imagine that when that angel comes to the apostle Paul and says, Fear not, you're going to make it to Rome. That maybe Paul remembered those words that he had written earlier in 2 Corinthians 5 and 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. So in verse 25 that I read to you there. The apostle Paul looks right into the weary, hopeless faces of these 275 men that are on this ship. And he says three words. I believe God, I believe God. I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. I can't see the stars. I haven't seen them for 14 days. But let me tell you, I believe God. My, my head is reeling. My stomach is upset. I haven't eaten in days. But let me tell you one thing. I believe God. I believe God right in the middle of the storm. He said, I believe God in spite of what he did see, in spite of what he couldn't see. He said, I believe God. When the mathematical probability of being saved was nil, his response was, I believe God. Faith is believing what God said because he said it. Faith is believing what God said because he said it, not because of our feelings, not because of our emotions, not because of our reasoning, not because of past experience, not because of our sight, not because of circumstances that validated. We walk by faith and not by sight. The choir sings the song, Still I will trust you. When the storm rages on and I can't find my way, Still, I will trust you. Still, when it's dark, you don't know what tomorrow holds. Still, I believe. The storm is raging, but I believe God. The waves are crashing, but I believe God. The sun isn't shining, but I believe God. I'm sick, but I believe God. My family is in peril, but I believe God. This trial seems to never end. But I believe God. I am at the end of my own ability. I've done everything I can do. I have fasted and I have prayed. And I still don't see anything. But I believe God. The cargo is gone. The tackling is gone. The wheat is gone. The lifeboats are gone. Hope is gone. But I still believe God. 
What magnificent words the Apostle Paul said there. In the middle of the greatest storm of his life, he said three words. I believe God. You see, it's been said very well. Man's extremities is God's opportunity. Man's extremity is God's opportunity. Paul is in a Eurachlodon. It gets so bad that in verse 29, they just wished for the day. They just wished, can I see a ray of light at the end of the tunnel? Is there any light that I can see? See, the storm didn't stop when Paul got the promise. The storm did not stop when Paul got the promise. The angel visited and the angel left and the storm raged on. The promise did not stop the storm. It did not stop the night from coming. It did not stop the next wave from crashing. And in fact, when the morning comes, after they wish for the morning, the Bible says that next morning, when the morning came in verse 41, they ran aground. And literally the violence of the waves breaks the back of the ship into splinters. And Paul... And Dr. Luke and Aristarchus, they find themselves swimming in the same water that had just destroyed their ship. I almost titled my message this morning, Swimming in the Sea That Sunk Your Ship. Swimming in the Sea That Sunk Your Ship. That's where Paul is. You mean I've got a promise when I was back on the boat and things were bad, but they weren't near as bad at that moment as they are. I'm swimming in the exact water that just crashed my boat. And now I'm swimming. The old song says, in the dark of the midnight, have I oft hid my face while the storm howls above me and there's no hiding place. Mid the crash of the thunder, precious Lord, Hear my cry, keep me safe till the storm passes by. Many times Satan whispers, there's no need to try, for there's no end of sorrow. There's no hope by and by, but I know that thou art with me and tomorrow I'll rise when the storms never darken the skies. Till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast, let me stand in the hollow of thy hand until the storm passes by. Satan whispered, and your response was, but I believe. Satan said, there's no hope. Sorrow, grief, pain, suffering will never end. And you respond with, but I believe God. The darkness of the midnight is upon you. But you say, I believe God. Over the roar of the storm, can I hear somebody this morning to say, I believe God. I believe God. I can't look around me and I may not even be able to see him. I may not be able to feel him. I haven't heard from him in a while. And the storm is raging on. But there's one thing I'm going to say. In spite of it all, I believe God. Those three words will get you through your Rockledon. I believe God. I'm not walking by what I see. I believe God. 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 
swimming in the sea that sinks your ship. You've, you've been given promises, but you haven't seen the fruition of that promise yet. The storm is still raging. The Apostle Paul says, but I believe God. I believe God. They sing this song called the Navy Hymn. They actually sung it at President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's funeral in Hyde Park on April 14, 1945. The reason they sung it at his funeral is because he loved it. He loved this song. It's called the Navy Hymn. Have you ever heard of it? The Navy Hymn. Some of you may have heard of it. It was written by William Whiting in 1860. It was a prayer written by him in 1860. In 1861, John Dykes published that prayer that he had put a tune to. He put a tune to that prayer and he published it in 1861. And you know what Dyke named that hymn tune? Melita. Melita. Does that mean anything to you? Melita. Chapter 27, turn the page to chapter 28. Chapter 28, verse 1. And when they were escaped, and when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. Melita. He put a tune to this prayer of John Whiting, and he called it Melita. Now the Navy hymn, it is a prayer. It is based upon the profound truth that the eternal God who created the universe still controls all of the elements of nature. And he can protect his own no matter what the situation, no matter what the peril. Let me read you verse 1. Verse 1 is typically what is known as the Navy hymn. Eternal Father, strong to save, whose arms doth bind the restless wave, who biddest the mighty ocean deep its own appointed limits keep. Oh, hear us when we cry to thee for those in peril on the sea. So the Navy men would sing this song. You see, William Whiting, right before he wrote that prayer, he called that prayer Eternal Father Strong to Save. That's what he called it. But right before he did that, he had survived a furious storm in the Mediterranean. And in response, he wrote this prayer that he called Eternal Father Strong to Save. But then Dykes turns around the next year and he puts music to those. And he calls it Melita. The island where Paul escaped to after shipwreck. And then in, in 1879, Lieutenant Commander Charles Jackson Train. He directed the Midshipmen's Choir at the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis. And they sang the first verse of this hymn that I read to you. And his singing of that song that day caught on within some Navy men. And they realized that that was a prayer for those in peril on the sea. And it, that singing was the inauguration of the practice of concluding every Sunday's divine service at the U.S. Naval Academy at Annapolis by singing this verse. And from that time on, it became known as the Navy the Navy hymn, Oh, hear us when we cry to thee for those in peril on the sea. There is going to be peril upon the sea of life. We are not exempt from trouble. 
But when all is lost, when all hope that we should be saved is lost, I'm not saying it's easy to cling to faith at that moment. But that's what we have to do. When all hope is lost, we have to cling to faith because our sight will fool us. Our sight says there is no God in the background. Our hearing says the devil's whispering in my ear. I can't make it. The cancer's going to win. There is something in my, the devil whispering in my ear saying your kids will never be saved. There's something whispering in your ear that says the sorrow, the grief will never ease up. There's something whispering in your ear that says it's never going to happen for you. Look where you're at. You're in the middle of the storm. You haven't seen the light of day in weeks and months. But we cannot walk by fear. We cannot walk by what we see. We have to walk by faith. You have been given a promise. He said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Those words are more true and more real when you are going through the storm. They have meaning, yes. But when you're on the mountaintop and everything's nice, hunky-dory, and you're doing jumping over rainbows, but when it comes down to the Eurachlodon, And it's been 14 nights and you haven't ate. You haven't hardly slept. You've worked and worked and worked and still the ship is literally breaking underneath of you. And then all of a sudden you're thrown into that very water that sunk your ship. Then the promise, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you has true meaning. Then the Apostle Paul can say, God, I believe. You said I'm going to Rome. I'm paddling for all I'm worth. I'm taking down a little water, but I'm paddling for all I'm worth. And I'm going to get to that Melita because you promised it. You said it. And I believe it. I believe. Let's stand. There are going to be perils on the sea. Romans Chapter 15 and verse 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. There is a settled peace. There is a joy that is unnatural that comes over us when we can say those three words with all honesty. God, I believe there is a settled peace that can come over you even in the middle of the storm. And the Apostle Paul can look at them and say three words. I believe God. There is peace. There is hope. There is joy in believing. I believe God. I'm in the middle of the storm. I'm in the battle of the battle. But I believe God. The storm is raging. I can't see what's ahead. But I believe God. It looks like all hope is lost. But I believe God. Satan whispers in on my ear. I can't make it. But I respond back. I believe God. The doctor looks at me and said, there's no way you're going to make it. But I have to respond. I believe God, Brother Dale. I believe God. There is an inner joy and a peace that comes from believing. Believing God's promises. I believe. I believe. I believe God. I believe God. I can't see tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The last several days have been bad. It's been a Eurachlodon for me. I don't know what tomorrow holds. But I know three things. I believe God. That puts me in there. 
there, and that puts God in there with one word in between. Believe. I believe God. Do you believe God this morning? Do you believe God this morning? I'm looking for a church this morning that will just raise your hands and say, I believe God. I believe God. Devil, did you hear that? You've been whispering in my ear, but let me tell you one thing. I believe God. My body is frail. I'm weaker than I've ever been in my life. My heart's out of rhythm. But I can tell you one thing. I believe God. My family is in peril. Looks like they might go to prison. But I'm going to tell you one thing. I believe God. I believe God. Let's come and pray this morning. Let's come and pray. Do you believe God? I can't promise you the storm will be over. But I can promise you there is a God that will stay there until the storm passes by. I believe God. Stop. 
I agree with Brother James. On our 30th wedding anniversary, we went with Thomas and Joan McCoy to Canada. And we, we uh, got on a ship there uh, to go from uh, Portland, Maine, over into Canada. Just to hop across the bay there. Amen. And, they, and there was a, uh, a ferry there, and they call it the catamaran. And, and I forget how many hundred vehicles was on that. And it had four diesel engines. Great. And, uh, and so I, uh, and it would go 55 miles an hour. That's fast on water. And, and the waves were really choppy. And so that catamaran was doing this. Just a bouncing across those waves. And guess what? They had a free breakfast. Bacon and eggs and all of that stuff. And I ate that greasy breakfast. And it wasn't long till I felt like I needed to go to the restroom. And they were lined up out into the hall trying to get in to throw up. I'm serious. And, uh, and so Thomas and I and Joan were, uh, were there taking care of emptying our breakfast out in a nice way. And, uh, and so and, and they were, while they were to entertain you, they were uh, showing the toy story and Carolyn was just sitting there smiling and watching the Tory story. And I was dying and I said, when we got over to Canada, I said, is there any way that we can get back to the United States without getting on the cat? They called it the cat for the short. And uh, they said, no way. <laughs> so... Uh, uh, we went to a pharmacy and we loaded up on some uh, seasick pills and knocked myself out good and I was able to get back on the cat and make it back and I'm not going to go back. Forget it. Don't talk to me about getting on a cat, bouncing across ways at 55 miles an hour. Forget it. Stand with me, please. Oh, that was wonderful, Brother James. So wonderful. And to know that we can have the promise of the Lord to rest upon us and to keep us and to shield us even in the middle of the storm. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful that the Lord is our God? So good to see you. Please, I, I beg you, all of you to go down or go with us down to the dining hall and enjoy a good meal with Sister April. Amen. God bless you. Let's just, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's pray together, and we'll go ahead and say the blessing over the food. Our Father, we love you. We thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us. We pray, Father, that you would bless the food, sanctify it to the nourishment of our bodies, our bodies for thy glory. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful word of the Lord and the promises of God. Oh, thank you, Lord, that we know that your word is forever settled in heaven, and you're able to keep to the uttermost, every word of the promises that you've made to the church of the living God. Strengthen us, blessing the service this evening. Oh God, meet with us and touch our people that need your strength and help and victory this day. 
In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.